Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Wedding Network podcast. We are delighted to have you here today, and I'm super excited to have Alan Berg in the chair to chat with us today. As we just started having a little intro and chit-chatting before we recorded, he called himself the Where's Waldo of the wedding industry, and I really like that as a way to get started. So I'm coming to you from Orlando. I don't know where the other two are coming from, but we'll find that out throughout, and we'll bring Sheree in to continue on. Hey, it's Sheree from Wedding Network USA, of course. And Jason forgot to introduce himself. He's really good at that. But he is a business development director. And he, as I said, is in Orlando. I happen to be in Vancouver, Washington. And our friend Alan is, we're going to let him tell you because we never know where he is. And I'm excited to have Alan here this morning because, first of all, I've known him for a good number of years. And it's always fun to, we're just stuck talking it's fun to get to interview someone that you know and that you like and you respect in the wedding industry and Alan's been over 25 years in sales and marketing and he's really the leading industry expert for the business of wedding and events he has spoken in so many countries and we're gonna let him talk to you about that as well and he's also earned the certified speaking professional uh, designation, which is the highest earned designation by the National Speakers Association, and there are only 800 of those speakers worldwide. So Alan's a big deal to us personally, but he is uh, well known in the speakers world. So good morning, Alan, and thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Cherie. Thanks, Jason, for inviting me here. I always love talking to you guys. We don't always have microphones, but we're, we're, anytime we're together, <laughs> we're always doing this <laughs> conversation. So you get to do this and share it. I love it. So, Alan, talk to us a little bit about the whole process of you getting into the wedding industry. I mean, I know your story goes way back in, in sales, but how did you translate from the part of your life where you were selling other things to getting into the wedding industry? What was that door that opened? You know, it's one of those things where you know, I like to say opportunity is always around, but sometimes we don't always see it. Well, this one was pretty obvious. Uh, I was working in a job that I hated. And um, my best friend bought a franchise of a wedding magazine. And he called me up one day and he said, I don't want a partner. I want a salesperson and I want you. So um, I thought about it. It was a commission only job. He didn't want a partner. So it was commission only. No salary, no draw, no minimum, no guarantee, no base. I made no money unless I sold. Oh, I forgot to mention my wife was pregnant and my older son was turning three. So, uh, oh, and I had a company car I had to give back. So I had to go buy a car because I was an on the road salesperson driving around knocking on doors like yours back in the day and uh, venues and photographers or whatever. And I was commission only salesperson. And I did that because I hated the job I had. I had no outside sales experience. I had inside sales experience. I, people came in and I sold them. That, that's what I knew. And I had to learn real fast, had to go out and make things happen. So I did that for five years. And then my wife and I bought the two franchises and we published two editions of Wedding Pages magazine for five years. Wedding Pages then wanted me to come and work for them. They said, would you come and, and run our markets on the Northeast? So all the sales reps from Boston to DC reported to me. We sold the franchises back. And a few months later, the company got bought out by The Knot. So wow. that's why. That's how I ended up at The Knot. Well, we had our crazy moment because The Knot was pretty new back then. And we had our like, oh my gosh, we sold our business back. We're, we're, we're never going to get our money. And you know, who is this company? Well, I ended up being at The Knot for 11 years. And I was a sales director. And then I was vice president of sales and vice president of sales operations. And all the while, I was their main speaker uh, on the business side. If you wanted an editor to come and talk about colors and trends and things, you had an editor because I don't talk about colors and trends and things. You don't want me to talk about that. Uh, so uh, I, I was the main speaker and that's where really my name got out there. Uh, I always tell people, how do you know if you have a brand? It's when they want you instead of someone. So in about 2004 or thereabouts, 2004, 2005, people, instead of saying, can they not send someone to our conference? They said, can Alan come? And uh, then in uh, 2011, the, uh, the Knot had a big downsizing based upon some activist investors, or as I like to say, I untied the Knot. That's my one line. It's a good one, but it's the one I got and I got to use it. So, um, so I untied the Knot. It's almost seven years ago now. And I, I didn't know it was coming. My wife kind of did, but I didn't know it was coming. 
And I said to her, listen, uh, if I'm going to be a consultant and I can't look in the mirror and look at that guy and teach him how to start and run a successful business, then nobody should hire me for theirs. And Cherie, you were actually instrumental in this. And I, I tell everybody about this. Besides the fact that you got the first copy of my first book and the first copy of my second book, you bought those two. You got the first copy of my third book. I wouldn't let you buy it, but you did get it. But uh, Jason, I don't know if you know this story, but uh, the word got out that did not, you know, I had been downsized. And me and a whole bunch of people, a lot of people. It was not about performance or anything. It was just about you know, money. And uh, I got calls from so many different people. And this is when you find out, you know, really, if you've been giving your life, you, you get it back when you need it, not by asking just because people do. And many phone calls happened and one was Cherie. And she called up and said, hey, I just heard what happened. Are you all right? I said, yeah, I'm fine. She said, what are you going to be doing? I said, well, you know, nobody needs a speaker next week or next month. So I'm going to put on my own little events called the Wedding Industry Leaders Conference. And I'm going to invite people to come and pay to, you know, hear me speak until other people start bringing me out. And she said, okay, you're going to do Portland and Seattle first. What do you need? That was it. I said, Excuse, I, I said I, I, what? She said, you're going to do Portland and Seattle first. She wasn't really asking me. <laughs> right, Jason, you know what I'm talking about here. Yeah, she, oh, yeah. Wasn't, she wasn't asking. And she said, you're doing Portland and Seattle first. What do you need? And I said, wow. I said, well, I need a venue and I need AV and whatever. And long story short, April 1st was my first day self-employed. And May 3rd, we did Portland, Seattle. May 5th, we did Portland. And then I did May 28th in Newport Beach and I did other ones going from there. And I put on over 20 of my own events that year. But it was, you know, Cherie that, that kicked it off and said, you're doing them here. And we did. We had, we had a great group. Oh, my gosh. The, the deals that you got me at those hotels, the, 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 the dome room at, at the, at the, um, um, uh, the Arctic Club and the Governor's Hotel, down in, oh, my, $25 a head, including tax and service and the room and the food. And it was like amazing. Um, and that's, that's how I started doing my own thing. And then people were hiring me to speak. And I started doing sales training and website reviews and things. Um, and then, so that's how I got into the business. And that's how I get into doing what I do. Um, but if I actually rewind just a little bit, when I had my own uh, magazines, we used to bring in a speaker to teach our people how to do better business. And I'd sit in the room going, I could do that. I don't need to pay this guy because he's basically doing an infomercial for his products that he's trying to sell. I could do that, but my people need it because as we all know here, I'm sure everybody listening knows this as well. You don't get into the wedding business because you want to have a business. You get into the wedding business because you're good at fill in the blank, food, flowers, photography, video, music, whatever. And that doesn't qualify you to have a good business. As a matter of fact, nothing about that qualifies you to have a good business. So I started teaching my people how to have a better business because I would lose them as advertisers if I didn't. And that's how it started. And I became really good at teaching people how to have a better business. So much to the point where so many people, if, I, if I'm working with DJs, they, they want to know how long I've been a DJ. Or photographers want to know long how, I've been, how long I've been a photographer. And I say, I'm not. And they go, but you know my business better than I do. I said, yeah, I do. I just can't take the pictures and I can't play the music and I can't cook the food because it's a different skill. So well, and you know, Alan, this is very much what Wedding Network was founded about is to try to help people uh, understand their peers. And we all know that this is an industry of creatives and we love them to bits, but that doesn't mean they know how to uh, make a sales and marketing plan or, um, you know, do they have the right insurance or any of those things. And so many of them, when you ask them what their uh, P&L looked like for last year, they look at you like the deer in the headlights. It's, it's a little scary. And so it's things like wedding MBA where there's continuous courses for people to learn and hear people like yourself that that really helps them understand that this is a business. Yes, you have to have a passion for it, but you have to be able to run that business. What really killed me was as a planner, watching so many people come into the industry and two to three years later, they were gone because they didn't know how to run a business. And I know Jason, you've seen that in your history as well. I certainly have. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask about Alan was as you talk about making all these transitions and kind of taking the next step forward and you saw the speaker and realized you could do that, uh, how did you kind of develop your skill set or your toolkit or kind of remember all of these things along the way to kind of continue to grow yourself throughout the process? Well, I think the interesting thing about it is that I didn't consider myself a speaker. I was doing a service to my customers 
and speaking happened to have been the medium. Now, this was also, I hate to say this, but kind of not quite BI before the internet. It wasn't exactly the analog age, but it was early on. So people were not going online, couldn't get YouTube videos and stuff like that. And there really was no education for, for us on a local level. Remember, because when I published my magazines and when I was selling the magazines, it was local. This was not about national, even though the company was national. So I just said, okay, what do they need? They need to know how to you know, convert the leads better, or I'm going to give them a mailing list. They need to know what to do with that. And then what happens when if people come in for, to make the sale, what do you have to do? So I just started teaching those skills to them. And then, okay, then we fast forward to the knot. The knot, I went from local to national. That was the big difference. Uh, matter of fact, I remember the first thing that I spoke at was actually an ABC event. They were having something at the Boathouse in Central Park. Talk about a great venue. And uh, the knot had just bought wedding pages. It was maybe a month or so later, and my boss, who was the VP of sales at the time, said, oh, uh, it was, was that April 1st, the knot bought wedding pages. So it was in either April or May. He said, in June, ABC's having this event, and you're representing us. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I just got here at the knot. I don't know the knot. He goes, yeah, but you know the industry. You've been in longer than me and all this kind of stuff. Well, it turns out Colin Cowie's the keynote. Then it's a panel of me and the, and the editor of either Brides or Modern Bride. It was one of the two of them. Uh, so I'm sitting next to the, you know, the editor, whatever, like, do I belong here? <laughs> Am I supposed to be here? And then there were other people after that. So that was the first thing I did. And then people would ask for us to come to NACE. And uh, it wasn't ILEA at the time. We won't say what it was. Um, and the ADJA and other conferences. And I just started going. And I was like, well, you know, what am I going to talk about? And I would talk about sales and I would talk about marketing. And then I would talk about websites because it was such an important thing at that point. It was like everybody needs to have a website and so many people didn't have them. So I started talking about that, which then eventually turned into my book. If your website was an employee, would you fire it? Um, came out of actually Wedding MBA. Wedding MBA contacted me in 2000 five for 2006 conference. I had no idea who this guy was. I didn't know that, you know, Will Hegarty puts on the largest bridal show in the country. <laughs> I had no idea who this guy was. And he contacts me, says, I'm putting on this conference called the Wedding MBA Merchant Business Academy, and I'd like you to come and speak. And I had been trying to get somebody to let me give this talk called 10 Ways Your Website's uh, um, Costing You Money. And nobody would take it because they wanted me to give the speech they heard me give at the last, at the other conference. And I said, Will, I will come. I will pay my airfare, hotel, meals, and everything if you let me give this talk 10 ways your website's costing you money. And he said, done. And then he changed the title to 10 ways your website's killing your business. It's like, I like that. <laughs> and that's better. So I spoke at the very first wedding MBA and everyone since. I think I'm the only one that's spoken at everyone for gosh, 11 years, I think it is. Um, so I started talking about websites and then I became the website guy because I would talk to people about how to make their website convert better. And then I talk about sales. Um, and, and those are the topics that are just so natural to me that are so foreign to our audience, to our people. Um, I don't know if I ever told you guys this story. When I was at the knot, a guy contacted me from Yale university. He was doing some sort of a fellowship study on the wedding industry on why so many people start wedding related businesses when the economics don't make any sense. <laughs> you think about what people are charging and how can you make a living charging what you're charging, doing as many weddings and events as you're doing, it just doesn't make any sense, which is why so many people are part-time. And they're part-time because they can't afford to be full-time, which is the chicken and egg. I can't afford to be full-time, so I have to have the other job. I don't want to have the other job, but I can't afford to be full-time. So one of the things that I know all three of us have, you know, trying to teach people all the time is to get your value, you know, charge for what you're worth and don't charge just because somebody else charges less. Um, and I've done that in my own business. I mean, gosh, my rates are four times what they were in 2011, you know, easily. And they say yes. Why? Because the value, the ROI that I'm going to give them is there. And everybody who says, I can't get more than X, there's somebody else in their market who's getting two, three, four times that. And uh, you know what, what is it? Henry Ford who said, uh, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you're right. <laughs> if you think you can't charge double, you're right. 
Yeah, pretty sad no, statement about our industry, though. It, it does make me sad. Jason, you were going to say? No, I was just going to say, yeah, the price question is definitely a big factor in any business, any category. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm not so much in the wedding business as I am on the marketing and sales side like you sometimes, but it's still the same thing. It's still well, making sure you're pricing what you're worth. Right. But that thing is, but it's business in general. Somebody comes to you, Jason, and says, oh, you know, listen, I want you to do this for me. How much is it? Right. It's the wrong question. Right? The question mm-hmm. is, what is Jason going to do for me? What's my return on that investment? Now, how much would that cost me? Right? Or not, not, you know, again, you need both numbers for an ROI. You need the investment and the return. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things I talk about, in, oh, actually, this is a great story. Somebody messaged me uh, on Facebook with a picture of one of the chapter openers of my sales book, Shut Up and Sell More Weddings and Events, the one that says four ways to handle pricing. And you've, you guys have heard me talk about this, but there's four different ways that you can handle price. And I talk about it in the book in that chapter. And she messaged me and said, you have saved me with this. I, I just read this chapter. I just used it with a customer and it works. And it's, you know, somebody comes to you and says, how much do you charge? It's not an easy answer in most parts of the wedding industry, just like in your business, Jason. It's not an easy answer. How much is it? Well, what do you need me to do for you? What, do you, what results do you want me to get? For, right, all this kind of stuff. It's not like a take it off the shelf. Here it is. You need package B, right? So how do you handle that question? So I talk about four ways to handle it. You can tell people sometimes. Like if you want me to do a website review, if you go to my website, there's a page called website review. And on that page, it tells you how it works, when you should do it. There's a video of me telling you all that. And the price is right there. Because there's no variance. There's no, oh, is it Tuesday or is it Saturday? Is it May? Is it June, right? There's no variance for me. It's really, am I available? Uh, I traveled so much last year and and this year already. It's whether or not I can even do it. It's not a matter of how much. How much is the price? But if you tell them, tell them why, not just what. Because why, uh, what a wedding planner does, every wedding, wedding planner does. What a DJ does, every DJ does. What a caterer does, every caterer does. You know, they all do the same thing on paper. Why do we choose one caterer who's two times, three times, four times what another one is, or half the price, a third of the price, or a quarter of the price? The why is really what you're selling. So I say, if you tell them, tell them why. If you're not going to tell them, understand in the wedding industry that 88% of couples, according to Wedding Wire, are looking for price before they even reach out to you. Just like we as consumers, you know, you go to a website, let's say you need a new CRM system. You go to websites, you look for the features, and then you look for the price, right? Well, our customers are no different. Uh, people getting married are no different. They're looking for the price. Well, if you have no price, some people just pass you by looking for a price on the next site. So if you're not going to tell them, tell them why you didn't tell them. Right, Sheree, I'd love to give you a price for your wedding, um, but I want to make sure that I don't leave out anything that's important to you, and I, I want to make sure that I don't charge you for things you don't need. So let me ask you a few questions to come up with the right thing for you, and then I can give you that price. Would that be all right? That's how you don't tell them. And the sad part is, is that everybody's so afraid that they will lose the consumer that they, they back off, they get defensive. And I think that's one of the things that I remember from a long time ago, you stated was that you said, don't be insulted when the first words out of their mouth are, how much does it cost? They don't know what it costs. And then I thought about, you know, when you go to buy a car, you have to know about how much it's going to cost because how else can you make an informed decision and does it even fit in your price point? So that's always stayed in my mind. And when people are whining to me about things, I say, well, you know, if at least they picked up the phone or they sent you a text or they emailed you and they asked your pricing and you got in their face, you got to be connected to them and you can reconnect to them. But what I'm finding today, Alan, which really is bothering me, we just talked about this at a wedding network meeting recently and people were apprehensive about follow-up. I call it the F word, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's the F you. Yeah. It's the FU follow up. It yeah. is. And if people are afraid to follow up and then they're like, well, I don't want to pester them or I don't want to this or I don't want to that. And those numbers have changed. I know about how many times we should follow up, but what's your take on that? What do you, what do you see? Yeah. Well, I, I actually have this in my shut up and sell more book and um, it'll be part of my next book, which is actually being formatted now, which is called, why won't they call me? Uh, I, Eight tips for converting inquiries into sales. All right, so 
one thing I don't know if you know that I'm doing is uh, my assistant and I, as part of our consulting business, we do secret shopping. And we'll usually do it in, in conjunction with doing sales training for someone. So the boss and I will arrange that we're going to secret shop them and their competitors, but the team doesn't know that we're going to do that. <laughs> I always love their faces when, they, when we tell them <laughs> we did that. So what we found is that most people only reach out once after getting an inquiry, some twice, very few, if any, more than that. And that's sad because let's step back to something you said and, and let's just make sure we do circle back because I just teased everybody said there's four ways to handle price and we gave them two. <laughs> so we'll come back to those other two. All right, so what has happened before you got the inquiry? Let's think about this, all right? Somebody gets engaged, right? Buying signals start happening immediately. The next thing that happens is they go online and they search for wedding related stuff, wedding ideas, whatever it is, that's a buying signal. And let's say they come across a site. I'm just going to use WeddingWire as an example. Uh, full disclosure, people know I consult to WeddingWire. We also said I was at The Knot for 11 years. So again, you could use The Knot, same thing, whatever. They go and they, they find WeddingWire. That's a buying signal. They go to your geographic area. That's a buying signal. They go to your specific category, catering, wedding planning, invitations, officiants, whatever it is. It's a buying signal. They look at all the thumbnail images and click on yours. That's a buying signal. They either read your reviews, photos, videos, whatever's there, and it, it make an inquiry from there, or they go to your website, another buying signal, and then they inquire from there. So that could be eight buying signals or more, but let's think about what happened there. They went online looking for wedding stuff. They found, again, I'm just going to use the same example, wedding wire. Let's say if you chose not to be there, all right, or you chose to have a free listing, so you're really not going to get seen. Right? You have said, I am not a choice today for that customer. Because remember, that customer chose that site, Wedding Wire, The Knot, whatever it is. They've chosen that site. So you have to self-choose. Do I want to be a choice? Do I want to be on the menu that they just opened up that day? But along the way, and, and again, I don't know, what, what, is, what is it? It's Tinder, right, with the swiping left, right thing? Which is the bad one? Yes. Which is Tinder's the, bad the Tinder's the swipe. Is, is it left is bad? I don't remember which way is which. I haven't had it in a long time. Okay, let's just say left is bad, right is good. I don't know. I'm, I'm married a long time, so I don't know. But they have swiped left on all of your competitors except for very few of you. You made the list, a short list, because the paradox of choice is such that we want to, as the consumer, know that we've seen all the choices. And then when we see all the choices, it's too many choices and we can't decide. It's like Amazon, right? You go on Amazon, you haven't bought anything. It's a half an hour, you haven't bought anything because it's like, if you like this, you might like that. It's like, ah, that's when I want to grow hair and pull it out because I'm so frustrated. So, so you've now made this short list. They've already said, I think you're a good choice. They've probably read your reviews and seen your videos and, and your photos. We don't, whatever, they've said, I want to reach out to you and they haven't reached out to 20 because they don't want to get 20 emails back. So by the time you get the inquiry, you are talking to a buyer, a buyer. Who comes to you and says, how much does it cost? And that doesn't want to buy it, right? I, yeah, I'm not really interested in that, but how much is it? That's ridiculous. Nobody's going to do that. They're not going to waste their time, you know, on a Wednesday while they're at work. Not that they're supposed to be doing this while they're at work, but they are. So when you get that inquiry and they say how much, you have to say to yourself, I have just connected with someone who is looking to buy what I offer, who already thinks I might be a good fit, and who doesn't know how to shop for what I'm selling. And that's the important part. The reason they ask how much is because they're ill-equipped to shop for it. Like people come to Jason and they don't know how to shop for what he does. It's not like, you know, here it's, well, Jason does exactly this bullet point list and somebody else does exactly, no. Like they came and said, I need you to fix this, my social media, my advertising, whatever it is. They don't know how to shop for it. Well, how do you shop for a ceremony officiant? <laughs> right? what, do you, what, do you shop, what are you shopping for, right? So what do they say? Um, I need an officiant for my wedding. How much is it? So rather than go, be, getting mad and going, oh, my God, there's another one that just, ugh. Every time I get a price inquiry, every time somebody says, how much is it for you to come and train our staff or how much is it for you to come and speak? I go, yes, that is somebody who was is, who is a possible buyer for me, not just anybody, 
me. So I want people to think when you get that price inquiry that you are now in a short list of people that are being considered by this buyer and that 90 plus percent of the people in your market that could do that particular wedding will never ever get that inquiry. True. And it's about, re it's about reframing the sales conversation in your head as a business owner. Oh, absolutely. A lot of times when I go out, when people say, oh, you know, everything you said just kind of makes sense. I said, yeah, right. It didn't make sense until I said it though. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. And I, I try to change people's attitude. The attitude, and it's actually my second book, Your Attitude for Success, but, which I didn't think about it at the time, but that's what I do when I speak is change your perspective that the buyer, the, this, the person coming to you and saying how much that's, you should be happy, not upset. You should be happy. Oh, and by the way, when they ask you if you can lower your price, that's an even better buying signal because nobody asks for a deal on something they don't want. True. Right? So if you think about it, you've had a good conversation through email, through text, through live chat, through Skype, through phone call, through in-person, whatever it is. And they say, hey, Cherie, you know, I, I really like this. Is there any way that you can do this for this price lower? Right? Are you giving me the loser symbol there? No. <laughs> Sorry, people can't see the camera. Uh, so, but, but when somebody said, hey, Sheree, can you do that for less? That is a buyer who wants to buy now as opposed to somebody who's just thinking about you and your service. So the answer to them is, thank you so much for asking. You know, I, I totally understand how things add up for your wedding. For those particular services you're looking for, that is the very best price I can do. Would you like me to reserve that now for you? Ask for the sale when they ask for the discount, even when you say no. If, you, if you're gonna say yes, and that's a total business decision on your part, if you say, well, if I could do it for this price, can you, you know, give me this much deposit today? And if they say yes, write the deal up. But I, I don't think you have to lower your price to get the sale because the fact that they're asking is telling you that they really want you to do it, especially if they went and saw someone else come back to you and say, could you lower the price? They've just, sent up flares to say, I don't really want them. I really want you, but I want their price. In which case I say, I totally understand, you know, how things add up and how budgets are. I can do what you want me to do for you and give you the results you want. And I can do that for you at my price. I can't do it at theirs. And I'm sure if they could give you the results that I could, they would be charging you the same price that I am, but, but they can't. Or they would be. They obviously would be. So would you like me to give you the results that you really want me to do? And if so, then let's get that reserved today, okay? No, that's fantastic. One of the, the sales thing is definitely something I hadn't fully processed out through my head. So hearing it from you now is fantastic. Because I wrote down the paradox of choice when we were talking about all this stuff where people have too many options and we we as just human, we can't handle it. We get on Facebook, we get on Amazon and an hour later goes by and we're like, wait, those, those were too many choices. And so if somebody is asking you for a discount, that means they do want to work with you. Right. And they want those services. So if they say, no, but I can't afford that. You say, well, here's what I can do for you at that price. And if they say, well, no, I want the other thing. You say, well, then that's that price. Which one would you like? Which is now the best, the easiest way to make someone to make a decision is to give them a choice of two. Did you want this yes. one? Or this one and if it's a choice if there's only one then it's still a choice of two it's do you want it or don't you <laughs> it's, still, it's still two choices but so so one thing that i see too often with wedding pros is that we do the opposite jason which is we tell them everything that we could do for them we give them all the possible packages and options and all that and then they get like a deer in headlights and then they say to us and everybody has heard this, everybody's listening has heard this. You've given us so much to think about. We need to go home and process this. So I very often will say, stand in front of an audience and say, do you ever hear this? You've given us so much to think about, we need to go process this. And they go, yeah. I said, it's your fault. <laughs> Stop giving them so much to think about. The reason my sales book is called Shut Up and Sell More is because you're supposed to be asking them questions. They will tell you exactly what they wanna buy and what outcomes they want present them with the things that will give them those outcomes and ask for the sale. Instead of saying, hey, thanks for coming in. Here's everything I could do for you. And now let me overwhelm you for a little bit more so that you're not going to be able to make a decision and then you're going to leave. How does that work? <laughs> and yet that's what happens every single day at wedding professionals all over the world, not just the country, 
all over the world. It's just the natural way that we do it. Uh, and is it partly, Alan, do you think because the wedding pros mostly are creatives and so there may be a little more softer side, they're not that stern accountant, you know, whatever, or the doctor who's so tough and rough and ready and he doesn't have time for your mishmash and, you know, so you, you get that kind of, we want to tell him everything because we want him to know how good we are. And obviously it doesn't work. Well, but, but by the time they've reached out to you, They've already determined that because they've read your reviews and they've looked maybe at your website and they've seen your videos and photos and stuff. They wouldn't be inquiring if they didn't already think you could do it. So yeah. what happens is, uh, go back to our secret shopping. The most common thing we see with our secret shopping is you send an inquiry and you ask, hey, how much is it to you know, to be a band at my wedding or to do flowers for my wedding or something, something you couldn't possibly answer without knowing more details, but they don't know that. So you, they send that inquiry out and you send back a copy pasted reply. Congratulations on your recent engagement. We, we would love to help make your wedding fun. We have uh, checked and your fill in the blank date is now is available. It, we've seen them all these, you know, all copy pasted things. And then worse, you've attached a PDF which doesn't work on my phone. I don't say, I mean, it opens on my phone, but you can't read it because it's just too tiny. And you've given me this 14 page PDF with every possible choice that I could have. And then you wonder why I don't reply to you because I can't read the PDFs. And that means I need to print it out or go to a bigger screen to try to read it. And by the nature of you attaching it, you've said, hey, you should read this and then get back to me. So instead, I break my clients of that and say, when you get the inquiry, even if it's through the not and they don't change the default text, which says we'd like pricing and services or something like that, information about your pricing and services, you are continuing a conversation they have started. And Jason, this is one of those mind shift things. You're not trying to start a conversation. It's already been started. When the customer sends you an inquiry, they have started the conversation. So what happens if the phone would ring right now? You wouldn't go, hey, hi, this is Jason's DJ. You know, how can I help you? Oh, we're, we're getting married. We like to get information. Okay, you know what? Let me send you a 14-page PDF, and then we can talk. How would that work? You would never do that. Why do we do that in an email? I don't understand why we do that, which is why I wrote the new book. Why won't they call me is the title of the book because we know they don't call you. Uh, but the subtitle is Eight Tips for Converting Inquiries into Sales. And really, it's about digital inquiries. So you get the inquiry. It says, I want pricing and services. You go back to them and say, Cherie, I would love to give you information on pricing and services. I want to make sure that I don't leave out anything that's important to you or charge you for anything you don't want or need. So if it's okay, let me ask you a few questions so I can you know, give you the right pricing. And then depending on what you do, you ask one question. So if you were a caterer, you might say, have you already chosen your venue yet? If you were the venue, you might say you're having the ceremony, are you looking to have the ceremony here as well? If you were the florist, you might say, were you looking to have us do ceremony flowers as well as reception flowers? Uh, or how many bridesmaids or, or you know, how many attendants are you gonna have? If you're the DJ, you might ask about the ceremony or ask about the venue. There's always one question. And I call this a low commitment question. One that they're gonna answer because they're going to go, well, duh, if they don't have that information, they probably couldn't give me a price. Like how many guests are you having or where is it? Or maybe the date, <laughs> you know, maybe the date, date of the event. So what you're trying to do is get them to respond to you because now you have this dialogue going back and forth. And then you can turn that dialogue possibly into a sale, possibly into a phone call, Skype call, FaceTime call, whatever, possibly into an a in-person in appointment or maybe a tour of your venue or whatever it is, but you don't do that right away. This is the next biggest mistake I see. Somebody sends an inquiry, it says, I like services and pricing info, and you say, great, when would be a good time to get on the phone? I didn't ask for a phone call, I asked for information. Or when would be a good time to come in and see our venue? I didn't ask to come in, I asked for information. So. Uh, I think it's 48% of wedding wire couples surveyed express frustration when you don't reciprocate their chosen form of communication. If they email, email. If they text, text. If they call, call. If they FaceTime, FaceTime, whatever. Just reciprocate that. So, because we, you know, they sent you an email because it's, well, I'm on the East Coast here. So what is it? It's, you know, it's early afternoon and they're at work. If, if they could have called you, well, they wouldn't have called you anyway, but if, if they had, <laughs> yeah, but, if, but if they had wanted to call you, 
the phone would have rung. Your phone number is, well, I was going to say your phone number is on your site. I, I was doing a website review of a photographer the other day, and the phone number was not on her site anywhere. Oh, not even in the footer, not on the contact page, nowhere. Nowhere. And I said to her, um, hey, do you, uh, you happen to get a lot of people calling you? <laughs> and she said, no, like hardly ever. I was like, well, you know, if you put your phone number on your website, maybe they could. <laughs> Oh, jeez. Yeah. That, that, the communication thing is a big one right now because businesses, you know, will build their website or build their marketing channels or build their communication and set their business up saying, this is how I accept. But the client doesn't want to work in that realm. The client wants to do what's comfortable for them. And we as business owners have to adapt to that if we want to move forward with a client or potential client. Well, it, I call it reducing the friction. Yeah. You reduce the friction. So if the customer, uh, give you an example, I added texting to my website and, uh, and I didn't do my cell phone number. I actually use ZipWhip because I, you wanted to use my business number. And the reason is I, as a consumer, if you give me the choice of office or cell and, and I don't know you, right? I'm always like, am I supposed to call the cell phone? You know, you gave me both, but gosh, I don't know which one I'm supposed to call. Once again, paradox of choice. That's a choice of two when there should be a choice of one. Here's my phone number. So with ZipWhip, you're able to text what is my office number and I get it on my phone, I get it on my desktop, I get it everywhere. So I added texting on there. Within, within a couple of weeks of adding texting, I got my first text and we went back and forth about five times and then she said, can we have a phone call? I said, sure. And I find, come to find out she's a baby boomer. She's, she's not a millennial. I'm thinking she's a millennial. She's, she's not a millennial, she's a baby boomer. So, and it ended up turning into a speaking engagement in Pennsylvania. Now, truth be told, if I didn't have texting available, might she have emailed me? Yeah, probably. But I reduced the friction because clearly that was her choice because it says right there on the top of my site, call, email, text. So she chose one of those things. I say give them as many ways as possible, but make sure that you pay attention to those. Like uh, Facebook message, like you guys both know, uh, every day I send people happy birthday messages on Facebook, because if you know, I, I'm not, I'm not, my memory isn't that great, Facebook pops up and tells me whose birthday it is, right? So there it is, and I send birthday messages, and I can't tell you how many people never acknowledge that message. I'm not talking about on their wall, I'm talking about a private message, and I'm wondering, gosh, if if you can't give me a thumbs up because I wished you happy birthday, what happens if somebody inquires about their wedding? Well, I can tell you from our secret shopping that a lot of people just don't pay attention to Facebook Messenger, yet they've created a page on Facebook. Well, you've given them the way, and now you're not responding. That's business out the window. My, my friend Rob that was here when we, we, we started, we're talking about social media, and I said, I remember when Facebook Messenger came out, and I was like, oh, gosh. Another thing, I have email, I have text, I have phone. What do I need this for? I love Facebook Messenger. I can message anyone on Facebook and I don't need to know their phone number, where they are, their address, their email, their shoe size. I don't need to know any of that. And they can message me. And that's what I love about Facebook Messenger. And it, it, it has reduced the friction for that person that's on Facebook and someone mentions my book or my speaking or whatever and goes, oh, let me contact Alan. Boom, done. They don't leave Facebook. They don't have to go to my website. They don't have to do a Google search. It's right there. So I the love other thing that. I love about it is that you can send out a joint message to three or four people and start right. a conversation because maybe you're trying to organize a small event and you can reach out to everyone at once and the replies come back in. I don't like it when people just automatically add me to a group of 72 people no, um, no. and then you start seeing all those, but you can easily leave the group. I agree. Sometimes you're in an airport late at night and you just want to send a message to someone and you can just do it there from your phone. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. It's, it's a good tool. And I have yeah. it on, I have it on my home screen. Yeah. So if I get a message, I'm, I'm going to reply to it right away. Uh, if, I don't know if you've seen this on Facebook. It now... So my business page, it rates you on how quick you are to reply. Oh, yeah. And yes. it's, so you get a message that it, it's like, you know, here he, he replies within, within 24 hours or six hours or whatever the, whatever the thing is. And I always, I always pride myself on getting back to people quickly because that's what I would want from someone else. You and know, that's I'm, an interesting uh, topic because um, our friend Adam Teagues in Seattle uh, posted something a couple weeks ago about he got an inquiry from a mom um, about a wedding date. And he said, so I 
went right to my calendar and I was looking and, you know, I was available and whatever. And, but he'd been in a client meeting. So he was probably 45 minutes before he got back to her. And uh, when he did, she said, Oh, I've already booked someone else. <laughs> He's like, well, he was so surprised because how quick can you respond? I mean, we still have other clients. And I, I think that sometimes that immediate or instant response um, we're getting in caught up into it and in that it, maybe it's not as effective as it should be. Um, obviously we do. Well, make I, I think the, I think the thing Sheree is I, I always say, so my eight tips for converting inquirers to sales, number two is reply as quickly as you can. And I tell people that means exactly what it says. Adam could not have replied quicker because he was in a client meeting. Right. I'm very often on airplanes. I fly over a hundred thousand miles a year. I'm very often on airplanes. I don't buy the Wi-Fi because I get more done. Right access to social media and email and all that kind of stuff. So if he lost the sale because he couldn't reply in less than 45 minutes, when the standard is they expect you to reply by tomorrow, they would like you to reply today, the faster you reply, the better. To your point earlier, that was a person who was on a mission to get that service checked off their list now. Yeah. And you know what? That's not most people, but whoever did respond to them quicker, more power to them, they were available that's it. Um, again, I reply to people as quickly as I can, and that means exactly what that is. Uh, last night, somebody texted me from my site. I, I always think it's funny when somebody texts you and doesn't tell you who they are, you know, using the phone number. Yeah. And, and he was complimenting me on something, and I was like, hey, thanks. And then I put in parentheses, by the way, you know, BTW, who is this? With a little, little smiley face. And then he told me who it is. Um, and we had this conversation. It was, it was actually, kind of, it was kind of fun in a, in, a, in a kind of an off way. He had bought all my CDs and someone broke into his car and I stole stuff, including the CDs. They're going to be really surprised when they get to mine because they're not music. <laughs> and, um, and I told him, I said, just give me your address and I'll send you, I'll send you out a flash drive. It's got those things on it. And he said, oh, great. How much? And I said, no, just give me your address. I'll send them out. And he was amazed. I was like, you bought them already. You know, they got stolen. That wasn't your fault. They got stolen. I want you to listen to them. You want to listen to them. I use them on a flash drive. Now, here you go. All right. And then he ended up going online and buying my book <laughs> anyway, uh, which he also already had. So maybe they stole that too. I'm not sure. But now we then had this conversation going and he said, you know, when's the next time you're going to be in the area doing an event? I said, well, I'm not. Uh, but if you'd like to arrange one, Here's what you could do. We went back and forth. And this morning I woke up to Facebook and he had posted, hey, Chicagoland, uh, you know, anybody interested in doing a mastermind with Alan Berg? So that interchange might turn into business. So, all right, let, let me swing back around because <laughs> we left them hanging there with our four things. All right, so mm -hmm. four ways to handle price. Tell them, don't tell them. Already did those two. Starting price number three, my least favorite way to give a price unless your final price is close to that starting price because otherwise it's not fair to them. Uh, I remember I got a flat tire on my car and it, it doesn't have a spare. It's got what uh, uh, the run flat tires. So you see the ads in the paper tire is starting at 4595, right? My tire was $299. <laughs> Excuse me. That's not close to starting price. So I don't like starting price again, unless it's, you're just trying to weed out the people below that and it, there isn't maybe much variation. Like one of my clients, it's $5,700 to rent her venue. If you want to add Thursday, it's $1,200 more. If she says starting at $5,700, it's fine. My favorite way to do price is uh, price range. Uh, price range is very simple. Unless you're brand new in business, you look at every wedding you did last year, make a spreadsheet. Every quince, make a spreadsheet. Every mitzvah, make a spreadsheet. Every corporate gig, make a spreadsheet. Sort it low to high, you have your range. Throw the low one out if it was, you know, your friend's cousin on a Tuesday in March. You know, we don't count that one. Throw the high one out because it was that, oh, my gosh, did you see that event that I did? Because it's really higher than your high. And there's your range. And now you can say, uh, you know, I can't give you an exact price, Cherie, but I can tell you that weddings here, eh, they typically run between, you know, 3000 and $6,000. Most of our couples are around 4200 Does that work with your budget? Done. You've been transparent. You haven't told them how much it costs. So I love doing the price range because it's a, there's a transparency, there's a trust aspect, and yet you haven't narrowed yourself down. But I'll tell you what you did do is you weeded out all those people that could never possibly afford you. One of my clients in Texas put all their prices on the website for renting their venues. Their inquiries went dramatically down. Their tours went dramatically down and their sales went up. 
And then the bosses hated the fact that the inquiries went down, so they made them change it. So they put a price range instead, and the inquiries went up some, the tours went up some, sales are still up. But their sales are higher having the price than they were by not having the price. But a range says, hey, it's somewhere between here and here. If that can kind of work with you, then come to us. But if you're below that, just don't waste our time. And don't waste your time either. We don't want, we don't want to waste people's time. Yeah, and the inquiries with planners and venues and different categories, the range is great because you're only going to get inquiries that are interested or that have the potential to put forward that instead of having, you know, out of 10, one works and having right. those percentages that don't work as well. Yeah. I, one of my clients, uh, they're, they're a venue that the caterer is separate and the prices for the venue were online and it said catering was extra, but nobody read that. So they all thought it was $8,000 to rent this mansion on a lake including the food. <laughs> and yeah, I know. I wish you could see Jason's face right, right now when I said that. And so long story short, if you go to the website now, it says we go from 32,000 to 82,000. That's a pretty big range. But 32,000 as the bottom number has kept away all those people that thought the whole wedding was $8,000. They had so many tire kickers before that just don't even inquire anymore that the salespeople have their time to spend with the legitimate buyers. Not that the others aren't legitimate buyers, they're just not a legitimate buyer for that particular venue. And it, it's worked well. So I like range, um, you know, even for your services, Jason, too. It's like, listen, I, you know, some, co some companies they do a little bit for, some I do a lot. It, you know, it could run anywhere from here to here, depending upon what you need. And if they're like, ooh, gee, like we didn't have any kind of budget anywhere in that, good, you know, now you know, and you come back to me when you're ready. That's all doesn't think anything less of you. It's just, that's what your budget is. I have people that can well afford to have me come in that never do. And then other people I'm like, gee, I don't know if they can really afford to bring me in and the check clear. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to uh, bring up, you mentioned your new book. When is that coming out? And um, tell us the title again and how can we order it? Uh, the book will be coming out within the next month or two, uh, working on the cover design now and the book layout. It is called, might vary just a little bit, but right now it's called, Why Won't They Call Me? Eight Tips for Converting Inquiries into Sales. And, and the goal of the book is that when you get that inquiry, it's going to take them from that point to the point to be that you make the sale or you get the appointment or whatever it is that's the right thing for your particular business. And these are tips that have been working for years for people that I've honed down and honed down and honed down. And I get so much amazing feedback from people uh, to the point where when I'm doing live sales training, I'll say, if we get a lead in today, let me know. And we get leads in and I help them get appointments or sales while I'm there. Uh, I did one for a group of six venues the other day, two were restaurants for uh, bigger halls. And while I was there, they got six inquiries. Two of them became sales and four of them, they had appointments. While I was there was already done. And most people in the industry, are, it's taking days and weeks to get back to people and get them to make a decision on something. But these tips are going to help you. It will be on my website, allenberg.com. That's A-L-A-N-B-E-R-G.com. Um, on my Amazon page, uh, definitely be out in paperback and Kindle right away. Uh, the audiobook will follow uh, based upon my schedule. <laughs> Not sure about that. I will get in my studio and do that. Um, but it's, uh, as you know, with my books, they're not very big books on purpose because I want you to read them. Uh, you can read them on a plane ride usually, and you can immediately start using it. Uh, and, and that's, that's the goal of my books is not that you read it and go, oh, that was interesting. You know, that you read it and go, I'm using this already before I finish the book, I'm using this already. And it's going to talk about how to respond to the inquiries, how to respond to price inquiries. There will be real examples people have shared with me their actual email, texting, and Facebook message examples of conversations they've had using these particular things that they've learned from me. Um, and then I'll, I'm even going to have a link onto my website for more new examples. As people share more with me, I'm going to keep adding them. I'm going to put them on a page on my website. So it'd be kind of cool because it's not conjecture. E.g., how would you do this? There it is, like right there. And, and that's what I love. It's just, it's, it's just usable. So I, I've been thinking about this book for a while and um, my 12 hour flight to Dubai back in September, let me finish most of it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So now, now, now I'm already thinking about the next book, but I have to get this one done, but it's, uh, what are we now? We're February. 
So I'm hoping to have it done by the end of March or certainly into April and I'll put it out on Facebook. If you're not already following me, because I'll put an email about it, you can go to connectwithallenberg.com. Uh, again, A-L-A-N-B-E-R-G. So connectwithallenberg.com and then you can get onto my list and we'll be sending out when this is out. Awesome. And we'll definitely put all that in the show notes. Um, I can say I don't know when this podcast is going to be airing, but I have a feeling it'll be in March. So the okay. book will be Whoop. probably pretty easy to find by the time people are paying attention to this. All right. All right. Uh, so one quick question I have for you just to find out how many countries have you spoken in? As of today, 11. As of May of this year, be 12. I will be presenting in Cartagena, Colombia. Um, and uh, something that we didn't talk about earlier, but about five, right? I think it's about five years ago now, I decided to teach myself Spanish and I will actually be presenting in Spanish in Cartagena uh, on um, five signs it's time to fire your website and um, callese y venda mas, uh, shut up and sell more. Uh, <laughs> doing that one in Spanish as well. Uh, so that will make the fourth country that I've presented in Spanish, Mexico, Panama, Uruguay, and then Cartagena. So um, when, when somebody says to me, hey, I don't have the time, hey, I didn't have the time to learn a new language, certainly not at my age, um, and I did it. So, uh, you know, if you decide you want to do something, you just make it a priority. That's all. That's yeah. right. If you want to, you'll do it. That's right. It's kind of it. like starting this podcast. We wanted to do it, and we've had some hiccups along the way, but on the other side of that coin, we get to talk with people like yourself and, and uh, re-cement our connections with people throughout the industry that we just enjoy so much. And I know I'll see you before Wedding MBA, but uh, Jason and you and I will all get together when we're at Wedding MBA, I guess the first week of November this year. So Well, just putting us in the same state is difficult now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah, and I think at, and at Wedding MBA, Alan, I think we'll be doing some live podcasting along nice. the way. So we don't know what that'll look like, but we got time to figure it out. So well, listen, any, anytime, anytime you want me back on here, anytime you want to talk about the business of weddings and events or, 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 or bad hair days or whatever, we'd be <laughs> more than happy to do that. I love talking to you guys. We, we could do this all day. We usually, yeah, oh, we, we could. certainly could. Yeah, we definitely. Could all day. So, uh, so Cartagena, Jason, you're going to meet me there. May I might, I'll keep it. I'll keep it on the back of my head. May 17th, May 17th. I don't have anything going on in May. May 17th. Bye, Ate. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we hope so. Yeah, well, right. Alan, thanks again, dear, for joining us. And um, I'll see you soon in Portland. All right. I'll see you then. Looking for dinner. Thank you, Jason. Yeah. Thank you, Cherie. Yeah. Right, Thank you, Alan. All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Wedding Network podcast. You can find our show notes with all the information, links to Alan's information, his books, his DVDs, anything you can find Alan related. And we will look forward to chatting with someone else again in the very near future and having you listen to another episode. So thank you very much and have a great day.